0: Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever, good whomever, good, well, good something or other. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous, your hostess with the leastest. The leastest of what, you ask? The leastest of wit, of charisma? Hmm. Who knows, it is for you to decide. This is episode 120-something... Who knows exactly what number it is, when will the new season start, is there going to be any other season than just one, I don't really know. Um, Some housekeeping stuff, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash Alan Averill, A-V-E-R-I-L-L, The Man Who Shall Conquer in April, apparently, it's Norman, there you go, Norman Wisdom, perhaps, indeed, right, enough puns, um, you can go over there on Patreon and support the show. There is an empty angle underscore primordial uh, over on Instagram. You can follow my dumb adventures. Um, I wouldn't really call them adventures. That's a little bit of a sort of over-the-top hyperbolic statement, but, you know, various silly pictures, bits of machinery, bits of architecture, angles. Not many people, but, you know, that's life. Um, the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com in North America. Um, you can use the promo code ALAN and get 10% off your order. Um, Like I said to you last week, I got some of those old Cannibal Corpse reissues on vinyl and with some of the once-banned covers. Maybe that's worth a podcast on discussing. It's quite an interesting story how Cannibal Corpse got banned in Germany with some of those old covers, but I think it helped their notoriety, so to speak. And speaking of Cannibal Corpse, Primordial is playing this Saturday at the Turok open air right before Cannibal Corpse and after Rage. Don't you feel the winter, my friends? I will keep you safe and warm. I always like the bit in that video where PV is sort of singing beside the mic and then steps in to sing in front of the mic. It's a bit strange. It's like we needed a full view of his head and quite amazing haircut before he hid some part of his anatomy behind um the microphone go and check it out that's a modern cultural heavy metal reference for you all the way back to i suppose 1986 87 something like that anyway yes primordial plays on saturday at the Turok on uh, thursday if i can get my dates correct thursday at midgard's blot in norway which should be interesting like a viking festival where um by all accounts it seems like an amazing place and on Friday, in Kaltenbach Open Air in Austria, where we have not been in quite a few years. If I remember the last time my cousin, who I do April Men, stood in on the drums at the last moment. Um, and we played right before Dying Fetus, I think. And as we were playing, you could smell the storm coming in the air. You could smell that something was, um, you know what I'm talking about, that sort of um, phosphorus cordite. No, those are not the words, but a lightning storm was approaching down the valley and you could see it in the distance. Well, I could see it in the distance and you could. um, It wasn't hard to anticipate that as soon as we stopped, there was going to be a huge downpour of rain and a lightning storm. And sure enough, that's what happened. And poor dying fetus had to play through what was um, rather inclement weather. It's not a word you hear very often anymore. Inclement. Feel free to use it um, in the future. That or the phrase squally showers, either one is fine with me. So, after sharing an article on my Instagram about a story The NME published last week, I'm not usually within my um, musical remit to be reading The NME, but it was brought to my attention by Matt from Grave Pleasures um, originally, and I was struck by how many people still seem sort of unaware of the standard practices around merchandise that bands have to deal with. Um, I know I actually broke down some of the economics of a tour, um, which included some commentary about merch, but that was probably about 100 episodes ago. And I don't expect you to remember that because I barely remember um, last week. So how are you going to remember 100, 110 episodes ago? But still, people in the comments were pretty shocked by the fact that they really didn't quite realize that venues um, still take a percentage of bands' merchandise often for doing absolutely nothing. Um, And festivals do the same thing. Maybe not for quite doing absolutely nothing, but there is certainly a discussion to be had there um, over those percentages. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. Um, I'm going to go through the article, and then I'm going to go through uh, some of my opinions about this and that. And maybe there's some stuff that I'll say that you didn't realise or did not know before. But very often, um, like I said, Um, this percentage of a band's merchandise is for literally doing absolutely nothing. I know plenty of bands and I've played those shows myself where somebody just comes down from behind the bar and goes, oh, percentage of merch, please. Um, And they've done nothing but literally show you, yeah, you can put it on that table. Um, And it is essentially rent-seeking. Of course, sometimes, you know, they set it up, they sell it for you. I mean, you've got dedicated workers there um, at some festivals. And yeah, sure enough, a percentage of you know um, of that should be a small percentage I think should maybe going to the people working there but you know they're also paid by the festival anyway the percentages that they're making are on top of all this kind of thing but very often um, very often bands are completely price gouged for this so I thought I'd take a look at the article and go through it and discuss the ins and outs of the situation but I thought that I would illustrate my point with um the definition of the phrase rent seeking. Now this is a phrase that you'll probably have only really heard I've only really heard it in the last year or two. It's been a sort of lockdown phrase and I think it was um it was used a lot in relation to I suppose um an elderly section of society that were seen to be um, not really taking part. In society anymore economically, but holding on to all of the property, for example, I suppose that's where the phrase origin comes from rent seeking, i.e. you seek to gain profit by putting nothing back in. So I took a little look and the in definitions definitions are a little bit different. But Wikipedia says rent seeking is the effort to increase one's share of existing wealth without creating new wealth. Rent-seeking results in reduced economic efficiency through misallocation of resources, reduced wealth creation, lost government revenue, heightened income inequality, and potential national decline. Attempts at capture of regulatory agencies to gain a course of monopoly can result in advantages for rent-seekers in a market while imposing disadvantages on their uncorrupt competitors. Well, let's apply that to the music industry and you can certainly see how that would make sense. Rent-seeking is a byproduct of Political legislation and government funding. Politicians decide the laws, etc. Okay, Investopedia. Let's say this one at the top makes sense, more sense to me. The attempt to profit by manipulating the economic or political environment, especially by the use of subsidies. Hmm. Okay. So it's basically um, putting nothing in to get something out, which certainly is what um, merch concessions at venues mostly represents because let's be honest a band has to go and you know of course pay an artist for the design print the design ship it then very often carry it as luggage uh, with them um, you know either to a festival or a venue Uh, they often bring their own merch sellers set it up and then someone just comes down and wants a percentage of your merchandise sales but let's get try and get a bit more organised with this Um, and Let me bring up the article here. Uh, Hundreds of venues sign up to not take cut of artists' merchandise sales, but campaigners want more. Well, fans are finding out that this happens and they hate it. The money that they're spending isn't going to the artists as they thought. And yes, this is what's true. Many, many people in the comments didn't seem to realize that this is actually what happens. A campaign to stop music venues from taking a cut of artists' merchandise sales is proving successful, but campaigners say they want more live music spaces to sign up to this. Now, I will say that this um, this campaign at the moment seems to mostly refer to UK venues. I'm having toured the US several times. This is rampant in the US. This is very very different. This is almost every single venue I came across to play in the US wanted this. House of Blues, for example, you've probably heard the name. Thirty percent, which is if you're if you're already arriving from Europe, paying for flights, paying for visas, which are about four thousand three 000 to four thousand euro per band, and um, that thirty percent is literally your um, tiny profit that you might be making. Now, I know there's been, you know, there's people who'll hit me up in the DIY punk sector things in the comments going, oh, bro, you know, you shouldn't play there. You should play here, there and everywhere. But that's sometimes... Um, that's not sometimes the choice that you have if you're a especially a European band who aren't actually booking the venues or familiar with the venues, but you're going with um, a standard agency over there. um, And they just put you in these venues because at the end of the day, that percentage isn't really any skin off anyone's nose but you as a musician. But um, it's not really a European thing. Sometimes it happens in very big venues in Europe. Um, It can happen. But... A few in the UK. I've seen. I've been in the UK more often that it's happened there than it's happened in the USA. Excuse the noises in the background. I'm having some chair issues. I am, after all, something of an armchair warrior. So it seems like one of the main people spearheading this campaign is Tim Burgess from The Charlatans. Um, you may remember The Charlatans. It's a sort of nondescript sort of Manchester band from 1990. But he makes a point. He goes, in 1990, you could sell 100,000 copies of a single on vinyl. So merch was important, but not half... As much as it is now, I would say even <laughs> half as being generous. But streaming means new bands don't have record sales to keep them going. I mean, this is the thing that was really starkly evident during lockdown and during um, the pandemic is that once you're, you know, your fees for playing shows disappeared, you were left to really examine the streaming um, numbers that came in. And I say it till I'm blue in the face, but most modern articles talk about the artist as if it's one person. That's because they're often referring to, I suppose, hip-hop, grime, pop, impresarios, who are just one person with one name. I'm sure they have a team of songwriters. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know if Dizzy Rascal um, has a team of songwriters or it's just him on his own. Either way, a band, a rock band, a metal band, this is three, four, five people artists plural so therefore the very small profit from streaming um, which might be 50% of the overall income might be 20% if you have an older deal and with a label it before taxes then split by you know it's um, split by 5 then taxed. so the number can be tiny you can be making 10 15 20 30 euro a month and this was starkly put into perspective during lockdown because of course you don't have your income coming in from um, from playing gigs, asked how prevalent these tactics from gig spaces were today. He replied, "Not all venues take commission. Take commission. It's important to highlight the ones that don't do as much as the ones that do." Well, yes, of course. Blah 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 blah. Burgess said his process situation was not about money for the charlatans, but about fairness. Well, yeah, it can also be about both. I mean, the idea that um, you know, basically, someone who has nothing to do with the whole process um, can just come along and go, "Hey." You know, give me your money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I'm going to try and delve into it a little bit more deeply. So, CEO David Martin of um, this, uh, what would you call it, the Featured Artists Coalition (FAC), um, he makes some quite, you know, a bit more salient, a bit more pointed comments. And the true scale of the problem is hard to say. But almost every artist that we talked about about it says, "Yeah, this really pisses me off." Well, obviously. It's been really prevalent for a very long time and this is one thing I'm going to try and discuss is where it came from and where did the idea come from that you can just take a band's merchandise and literally put no, um, you know, no effort into, as I said, this sort of rent seeking um, move and what the scale of it in terms of percentage of venues or percentage of bands that pushes into a loss while on tour. We don't have a figure for that. Well, I can tell you, as I'm going to talk about these things in relation to some um, plenty of tours and gigs being cancelled right now by lots of bands, and um, that it is becoming more and more important. What is absolutely clear is that, particularly at sport level, it's still a matter of acts being told, come and play for no expenses and 50 quid. The merchandise is the difference between breaking even or losing money, um, you know. He made some, you know, very interesting points. After years of not being able to tour, Brexit is crap. Um, Yeah, it hasn't proved to be good for musicians. And everybody is trying to take money from me. We're trying to develop a career here and it's often impossible. While, you know, on the other side, it says last year was revealed that UK grassroots music venues faced 90 million as they emerged from the COVID pandemic. Now, wouldn't you think maybe the government would subsidize that so as musicians could actually be allowed to obviously keep their merchandise? Lockdowns and the challenges that came with them. And um, the FAC echo this and add to this that the campaign is not about battling venues, although having been in the USA, um, uh, as I'll go on to talk about, you certainly are battling venues. And I had several physical altercations over exactly this issue with local staff who basically told me, it's the law, man. And I was like, it's not the law. It's, this is just a practice that you guys have made up. And also, you know, it's obviously an unfair practice. He also makes a very good point. I'm not going to just keep reading out his article, but, you know, I'm going to comment, make my own comments afterwards. But he says, these things might seem like they're relatively small things, but they go a long way in terms of helping part of the artist's community. We'd ask music fans to share the campaign. This is a very important point, is the idea that if anything will move the dial on this um, and stop this sort of rent-seeking practice of taking bands' merch commission, it is negative publicity. It is adding the venue going. Hey, are you stealing a band's merchandise? This is unfair. Um, this is the kind of, I suppose, practice that will or could possibly change things because there's no unionization in music. There's no, there's no. The big bands don't stick up for the little bands and go. Mm, we were once there. Yeah, maybe you do need to keep your merch in order to buy um, gas to get to the next show if you're on a small tiny van tour. But um, what he's saying is, um, we'd ask bands fans to share the campaign. When you're at the merch desk at a gig, ask the artist if being charged if they are being charged a commission. Because very often the artist will be at the merch desk because they have to sell their own merchandise. Hit the bands up on social media and ask if they are being charged. Um, and if they are, maybe buy direct online. Okay, well, you know, <clears throat> the merchandise is really different from being an artist being around in a year's time and them not. So So what happened when I shared this on my Instagram was that many people. Posted going, I didn't realize this was happening at all. And many people going, hey, um, the Irish venues aren't doing this. And I suppose what I was trying to really uh, sort of, you know, um, discuss was the practice of European festivals in taking your percentage commission. Less venues, but of course, you know, everything is sort of localized in that sense. And I kind of wasn't really sort of not kind of talking about Ireland. And the truth is that Primordial doesn't really play in Ireland enough for it really to make any difference for us here. But I wasn't being, um, you know, personalised in a sense about it. The practice on any level disgusts me. Um, And as I say, first things first, I'm going to roll into my own comments now. I'll make no bones about my opinion. Musicians first. Musicians first. Always in every, almost every situation, because everything starts with musicians now, people can grumble about that opinion, but that's just how it is. And after 30 years of doing this and seeing how incredibly one-sided and unfair it is, and like, you know, my example of the, um, the Hellfest stage we were on the other day with Primordial, and if you really went through that list of musicians and said, do you make a living from making music? And these are big enough bands. I guarantee there would be three, four, five people, maybe out of those 100, 120 more musicians uh, who might just about make a living and um, everyone it has to do something.
1: ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
0: something else. And everyone has to do something else. While, for example, the crew who are working that stage probably earn more than most of the musicians. Now, that's um, that's a kind of contentious issue. But I'm going to try and get into that as well. Now, I, of course, just then tried to Google Henry Rollins quotes and I got about a million of them. But it's basically it's one I've seen taped to the side of stages, um, which basically states, you know, after you've come up and played your show, The crew are dismantling the stage and all this kind of stuff, you know, give them the respect they deserve, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's a great quote, but it was also made at a time when I think in the 1980s, plenty of musicians were able to um, The As I said before in the podcast, the um, opening, the aperture out into the pastures of being an actual musician were perhaps a little less constricted um, and a little less impossible. Um, so it's a kind of a slightly old-fashioned quote, but like I said, you may remember. Um, if you take your average festival, I mean, even a we can take a smaller boutique festival, um, a Moscow Rocker um, or and you ask you if you were to do a poll of the musicians and go, um, you know, hands up here who makes a living from playing music, I guarantee it would be one two percent of people. But the fact is um, that if you are working as a crew person. Um, the standard fee is about 250 euros a day, and of course you can do a nixer for another band. A nixer is like a side job for 200 euro, um, and the bands are paying your flights, etc. So there were plenty of people working in that, in that tent who were earning three, four, five, six hundred plus euro a day. Now I'm not going to complain about that. I mean, good deal for being a crew person, um, great and good. But this can often mean that crew people, uh, even people selling the merch, can make more. Money than your average bass player, you might say. Well, how bad didn't Blackie Lawless call the bass the tool of ignorance? He did indeed, but even in the but even the ignorant, got to eat my fine feathered friends. Now, this kind of crew ideal. Idea about um, wages. It kind of came down, I think, from Scandinavia, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, and it was really in relation to somebody who spends their whole weekend in a venue being able to come out with a on um, un- 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 almost livable wage. And it makes sense. And far be it me from for me to criticize that. It's just, I suppose, as a musician, you look at it and go, "Hmm, how come nothing was ever put in place for us to have some form of livable minimum wage?" And these things are put into stark context when you look at your streaming numbers. Anyway, I'm not going to not going to make the whole podcast a, a big long complaint. But the reason I shared the story was really that a lot of things have shifted post pandemic, post lockdown, and in this new energy crisis world. Bands, um, who are the last to be allowed to return to their work? And I use that in parenthesis, the little rabbit ears, which I'm doing here. That if maybe I had the guts to start making these as video, um, chats, more of you might see. Well some of you might see but I use that word sparingly as few if any musicians I know actually can live from their work but with flights that once cost 100 or 200 euros now costing 3, 4, 5 and 600 euro you may have heard my story about the best player of Necrophobic his um, flight that day from Stockholm because of mistake costing 1500 euro I mean you could look at Skyscanner yourself and see same day um, travel arrangements for 7, 8, 900 a thousand Euro. Um, But all of these things come out of the front end of a band's fee, the front end of the fee and petrol, gas costs and many other forms of logistics. Um, It's really about time we have a very real discussion about merchandise, merch gouging and venues and festivals taking concessions from bands who are hurting more than ever right now. I think it has to stop. Pre-lockdown, you could feasibly do a European tour to 25 to 75 people a night, um, which is what most bands do in reality. Crash on couches, crash upstairs at venues, f- um, you know, have a kind of um, a run of venues that are maybe more DIY, more sort of punk ethos. Crash on couches, do the old school rock and way. I've done it before. Um, and of course, the truth is that not many venues in Europe look for merch percentages. Well, it's increasing, but um, certainly none of those underground scuzzy venues. But you'll probably know from your city that a lot of those venues have disappeared But mainly the ones who look for these concessions are the bigger ones. And in the US, like I said, it's literally everywhere. But I don't think most people really still do realize that the merch you buy at a festival, very little of anything actually ends up as profit for bands. Don't forget, you have to take into account, as I said, printing, shipping, um, and then the simple fact that everyone forgets a band is, like I said, three, four five people. So the profit is split before tax. So where did all this come from? Um, where did the idea that you can take a band's merch come from? The origins, it seems, can be traced back to those stadium bands in the United States, where obviously local booking agents saw bands selling hun- thousands and thousands and thousands of shirts and thought, we need a piece of this. And over the years, people began to adopt it as the law, quote unquote. And that's kind of where it came from it's an unjust principle to begin with the idea that well they're in my venue they've hired it out i'm making my money anyway but here's this thing that bands are doing um i need a piece of that but isn't that the kind of principle that the entire music industry was originally um founded upon the difference is um and i've been in um the usa and i've looked at the comments under some of this um on this pretty good YouTube channel called Tank the Tech, um, and it's uh, this guy used to be a roadie. He's talking. He's saying our venue's stealing dollars from bands, and he makes some very interesting points in his commentary. He does one thing which is quite good. He says that bands should never pay out merch concessions in gross over net, and that's one of the things I'd never really thought about. So when people just come up for merch concessions, you should have a um, you know, your your gross is your overall fee, like the greater fee. And you should never be paying your merch concession out of the gross, like your total night's takings, because that doesn't take into account or factor in um, printing, pressing, shipping. So those costs should be factored into the sale of every shirt. And so that would be your net. So if you're giving a percentage of 10, 15 percent away, take it out of net and don't ever take it out of gross, because then you are literally... Um, you might as well have your t-shirts given away as charity. And this is kind of what happened to us when we were stung for this sometimes in the USA with Primordial. I remember um, uh, getting so pissed off that we decided to try and sell our stuff out of the van in somewhere in Orange County. And the, uh, the venue calling the police on us for being an open vendor um, and not having a market license, this kind of thing. Uh, this happened all the time, kind of running battles with people in venues where they would send um, a girl down from the bar to stand with a clicker and go click, 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 counting your merch sales. So they knew exactly uh, how how much merchandise you sold. It just seemed to be a cultural thing. And then I started to see it creeping in in Europe. I mean, you'll see with many festivals now, their own merch is literally you go to the merch stall at some of the big festivals and it's all about the festivals merch and the bands are selling less and less and less and less and have less and less space. And I can say if they give you a merch seller and they come down and they take your merch from you and they do all of that, they are entitled of course to some recompense from that. But the understanding that where, um, where the musicians are, where the industry is in relation to this practice um you might think there might be some kind of, um, you know, volunteer issue. Maybe, you know, festivals ask for volunteers to sell merch. And on this voluntary basis, they then have to waive this percentage. But there are plenty of festivals that take 30 percent, 20, 30, 25, 30 percent of your merchandise. And um, you just go down with your bag. Go. Here you go. They count in, they count out. Um, as in they count in the numbers in and they count in the numbers out. You get an envelope at the end of the day and then we all stand around in the backstage and go, well, we all made 71 euro each and that's hardly really worth the effort of how much the luggage cost going back and forwards. Um, but anyway, this guy Tank the Tech, Um is it Hank the Tech? No, Tank the Tech, a roadie's take on Alpha Wolf's rant on merch fees. Now, I never heard of Alpha Wolf. They're an Australian um, what seems like a sort of new metal kind of techno band, and one of them posted a video afterwards, which was pretty cool. Um, they're touring the USA, and in Vancouver, somewhere the guy, the singer, eventually just loses it. Um, and he starts having this big rant about, you know, this somebody just came over and just took our merch concession. This has happened to me actually in Canada as well, this is where I had one of my biggest confrontations. It was somewhere um, on the um, West. Side of Canada, the west side. And um, as you drive across Canada, it's like driving across a massive frozen tundra, and then you see a kind of um, a town or city in the distance. It just like, it, like it's been dropped there by accident. But anyway, um, and the local guy was like, you know, came down for his, he wanted his percentage from the gross total. He'd sent someone down to click all our merch styles. And um, I just had enough. And I was like, you know, where did this come from? He was just like, it's the law. And I said, the law as defined by who? What, by the state? by the, law? And he was like, yeah, it is. And I said, well, bring a policeman down here and let's have a discussion about it. Just trying to make his life as difficult and irritating as possible. Because I knew I was probably never, ever going to be back there. And yeah, there was pushing and shoving went on. and But just the idea that a band would come from Ireland to tour Europe or to tour America pay for visas, pay for all this kind of stuff, North America, sorry, and that Canada, and then have to just hand over 25% of our merch sales and every other band well, while we were being paid nothing. Um, it just seems so immoral to me. Um, and it seems immoral to every band. Um, but anyway, this band, Alpha Wolf, they have this big rant on stage. Um, and there is no law about this. It just has become something that's passed down through generations and just accepted But things have surely changed a lot now. We're in a different circumstance. Um, Even speaking myself, uh, I can see that the profit margin from playing music, which was small already, has been reduced by 30, maybe 40% with those rising costs over what you made um, even three or four years ago. So the hundreds of euros you lose to merch concessions can now make a huge difference. Um, And to a touring band, it can be massive. If you've got, think about it, if you're in a van the gas costs have gone up two, 300 euro a day and you're literally your merch is what's getting you to the next venue that two, 300 euros um, might mean that you are not going to make it there. And then so what happens? It, it has a knock on effect as we go through, you know, year one, year two, year three. Musicians just quit. They just give up already. A lot of the bands were my peers, my friends are discussing about. Well, you know, the band was never my main income, but it was half of a supplementary income to whatever else I was doing, whether I was working in a guitar shop, um, you know, the gig economy, tech. Um, I know plenty of musicians who are teachers, you know, like all sorts of things. Um, that now means that they're having to find another kind of job to supplement the 30, 40% of that 50% that they've lost from, uh, from playing music. And so this will mean that, you know, touring and the economics of touring just become harder and harder. Bands are going to stop. Again, I come back to the crew um, discussion. I mean, I uh, completely understand the crew discussion, not having a go at the crew or anything like that. But bands will stop using or bringing crew um, because it's just cost prohibitive to spend four, five, six hundred euro on flights and then 250 euro a day, um, you know, at a festival and then, every band member comes out with, all right, OK, uh, I might as well have just stayed at home. Um, and that's that's really uh, a situation that I think is people have said to me, like I said in the last podcast, come up to me and gone, ah, you know, we're back, we're back, etc. And I go, well, we are and we aren't. It's not quite the same. And I think the repercussions of lockdown, and the pandemic, of course, in, in all different situations and circumstances, not just the music industry, they're going to be felt for year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. And I'm not just talking about them in terms of liberty or freedom or the political um, structure about economics, about what this means for the climate change discussion, but also the music industry. Um, and the idea that this sort of localised idea, and I spoke about this before on the podcast, the politician's idea of five kilometre living, um, and that the idea that uh, mixing this with the climate argument and... You're going to see an awful lot of bands, I think, either disappearing, stopping, pivoting to all of the members are going to have to have other kinds of work. A big test is going to be does this festival season recover completely next summer Um, or bands going to go, well, it's cost prohibitive or our fees are going to have to go up 50 to 100 percent. It's a circular, complicated argument because the music industry is very much based on an analogue principle. Um, and the world is becoming increasingly obviously digital. Now, that's a kind of rather um, a rather simplistic view of things. But the analog way of doing things, which is moving to, from one place to another in person to play, I think um, is coming more and more under threat and so therefore the idea that merch concessions are really just rent seeking by an industry that should be seeking to help musicians and support them because in the fullness of time in one two three four five years um when there is less bands and there is uh, you know troubles are coming down the road ahead of us and the idea that just taking the simple option now and going well you know Bands don't have a union. They don't have um, a method of speaking out against this. And they often have no choice but to accept this because it's just the done thing. Um, It won't change, I I think, unless until the big, big bands um, go, hey, you know what? X Festival, you can't take a percentage of our merch. And all the big bands stick together and go, no, we're sorry. That's not going to happen. Or it's going to be removed to 5% as a nominal Take home, so as we can help the small bands actually make something post-pandemic to be able to um, ease the pain, ease the pain. But of course, everyone is going through a form of pain. So it's I hope the podcast here now isn't just and um, doesn't just come across as a, a, a just a bit of a whinge. But the idea that you would, of course, create the songs, create the art. Um, source the artist print the merch ship the merch set up the merch um, and sell it on the back of your performance which you've just done your blood, sweat and tears on the stage and very often have to sell it yourself or come down to the merch stand to help and then for someone from upstairs in the venue to come down and go can I have my 25% please for doing absolutely nothing Um, it's clearly unjust and clearly um, you know it's clearly criminal anyway smooth criminal my friends today's podcast is just about that the rent seeking idea of merch concessions and what it means for your average struggling musician and think about it the next time you buy a shirt um i'm not saying i'm not sure what the answer is unless you go and find the musician themselves and go hey hey slip me a shirt underneath the table i really don't know what the answer is still as it stands um I would say Bandcamp is the only equitable real platform. But, you know, they take their percentages as well. So, my friends, Agitators Anonymous is a bit shorter, a bit sharper, a bit sweeter today. Um. Anyway, if you want to do a little digging into the words rent-seeking and what they mean and the various political applications that they've been used in the last year or two, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting and hardly surprising in the world that we're living in right now, over and out.